Hear what the Lord says. Plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Y a las colinas para que sean testigos de tus quejas. Y ahora, oh montañas, él entabla un pleito contra su pueblo. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balaam, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Bor, answered me, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Hey, today is a special day here, uh, not only at our church, but churches across Dallas are uniting around a singular message as we seek to bring unity and justice to our city. You know, since the death of George Floyd, we've seen yet again this polarization and this, this uh, div division and racism and such surface uh, to, to new heights in many ways. And whatever the details are there around his death or whatever the opinions of people might be, we know that this is a major issue in our nation. And we're going to address that today. And so I hope you'll hang with me and, and listen in. Lots of grace coming my way. Everybody's got an opinion about this particular topic. But, you know, right after his death in May, then in June, for the next couple of weeks, 70% of all Americans said they'd had a conversation with others about race. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody's still talking about it. Uh, Pew Research also noted that 75% of all white people would agree that racism is a major societal issue that we need to solve. That's up 23% from 2009. So just over the course of 10 years, about the time that I've been the pastor here, we have seen all kinds of incidents take place. And the Lord has kind of catapulted me, even us as a church, uh, really into a, a central place here in our city. Uh, didn't ask for it, didn't seek it out, but that's what God has said. Let's go. Let's make a difference. And so today we have the opportunity to really answer a lot of questions. I'm hearing from more people than ever. What can I do? I want to be the change that's needed. Uh, a lot of questions. Why all the protests? What does justice look like? I'm hearing all kinds of questions. We're going to answer a lot of those questions today. How do we bring light into the darkness? And the question we should all be asking is, as God's people, not what does my favorite news channel say about it, my favorite news commentator, or my uncle, or my friend. What does God's word say about it, and how can we obey his word and truly be about unity, reconciliation, and justice in our world today? Really, the core question is, what would Jesus do? What does Jesus have to say 
about this. You know, today is a day that has been months in the making. In fact, I could, I could say that it's been really years in the making. Many of you know that Pastor Brian Carter at Concord Church and I have become dear friends over the past 10 years. Uh, it was about eight years ago that he and I started to work together. Uh, many, many people wonder, how did y'all meet? How did you become such good friends? Well, we went to lunch. I mean, that's pretty much how it went down. We were a part of bringing Movement Day, uh, a gathering that first started in New York City with Tim Keller and others. We brought it here to Dallas, and now it's kind of gone global. But for the past um, eight plus years, Pastor Carter and I have been uh, helping, seeking to bring our city together over many different uh, years and incidents that have taken place. Many of you will remember, if I just go back over these past 10 years or so, it was actually 2013 that Trayvon Martin, 17-year-old, unarmed, uh, was shot and killed in Florida. That sparked a national kind of response. Now, it was yet again another response and, and a, uh, a focus on on issues of polarization and division, even racism. It was then, not long after that, that the uh, Black Lives Matter hashtag, okay, became a movement. Now, what we've seen of late is that that hashtag and that, yes, biblical proclamation has been hijacked by a group, an organization, I don't know if you know this, but a website even, Black Lives Matter, that is a website and a movement that actually is, is, in my opinion, a Marxist kind of a movement with, with non-Christian uh, beliefs and, 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 and efforts, really, really unbiblical uh, positions regarding family, even, even um, human sexuality. So there needs to be a distinction between a movement that hijacked, I should say, an organization that hijacked a movement. Because to say that Black Lives Matter is a biblical affirmation, and I know that's often met with, hey, wait, 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 all lives matter. All lives matter. Okay, we'll talk about that today because you really can't say black lives matter or at least believe that and proclaim it in some form without believing that all lives matter. And so we're going to talk about how do we address this? But you've seen that black lives matter has gone, it's clearly mainstream. Uh, we've seen in the NBA, if you're watching, yes, sports again, uh, the MLB. I saw even this week the NHL. How about that? Um, really making a proclamation about that. So to say it is not to align with a particular uh, organization that's kind of extremist, all right? So let's, let, we can be clear about that, but there is a distinction. Now, it was right after uh, Trayvon Martin, it was actually in 2014, that Michael Brown was shot and killed in Ferguson. Some of you remember that, created riots that were reminiscent of, you saw the images of the civil rights movement even. And when sometimes we look at this and we wonder, wow, are we ever going to make progress. Well, it was out of that that Pastor Carter and I began to ask the question, what if Ferguson comes to Dallas? We determined we're not ready. Uh, and what I mean by not ready, we're not ready to bring the gospel to bear on this issue as we should because we don't even know each other. So we started to gather white pastors, a group I meet with, the black pastors he meets with. We started to come together regularly with some hard conversations around race and what are we going to do here in Dallas? What does God's word say about it? And how can we be about reconciliation and healing and peace in our city instead of watching a city implode like we've seen in places like Chicago or even Ferguson? It took place because you see, we believe that the gospel is central to a true reconciliation, true justice and true peace. 
So we're seeking to bring Jesus right in the center of lots of different opinions, a lot of people with different ideas, and, and a lot of different organizations. You see, here's the question that I would ask. Instead of railing on the Black Lives Matter uh, organization in particular, the question that I want to ask, the real challenge is, why didn't Black Lives Matter or that movement come out of the church? Like the civil rights movement. That's why there was such success with Dr. King, the gospel, scripture, the church is where the civil rights movement was born. A Black Lives Matter organization, okay, an extremist group, was not born out of the church. The question is, why, what, and, I'm, and this is challenging for me, why wasn't the Black Lives Matter movement born out of the church? How about this, out of the white church? That's where it should have come from. And that's why we're on board to say, let's make a difference. You see, uh, we, we, we realize that there's so much that's created such racial tension in our uh, city. We've seen so many incidents. And we started then that first uh, pulpit swap right about 2014. And we swapped pulpits for many years. We've been involved in a lot of gatherings. We had men's gatherings where we talked about a history of racism in America, which is so enlightening. I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. We've had women's groups who've come together with book clubs. We even had a kid swap. We've served together. We've prayed together. And we love our friends at Concord in particular. But uh, so grateful for all the churches in Dallas that are coming together today on this historic day. Well, then uh, over time, okay, again, a quick history um, and really a brief history over the past 10 years. Then came the horrific night uh, that I'll never forget, July 7th, uh, 19, uh, 2016. Uh, it was 2016 that uh, I got a call that night. I'm watching television, got a call from Brian. And then the mayor reached out, the two of us, that night to say, I need your help. And, and God had placed us right in the center of one of the most horrific days in the history of Dallas. And, uh, and the Lord propelled us into a place. The next day we were at Thanksgiving Square. We were able to gather uh, people from all walks of life all over Dallas together for prayer, unity, and nonviolence. And so that night we gathered. The next night we gathered for prayer. We gathered around uh, Police Chief Brown at the time to support our police officers and, and to honor them, but also to say, hey, let's hold this thing together. We must continue with nonviolence and peace in a time of great grief and loss. Well, so, many, so much has happened even since then. Most recently, you'll remember the Botham John tragedy, and then now, more recently, an international kind of focus on George Floyd's death. So what I want to do today is talk about why the church needs to be involved. Why are we so passionate about this? And here's what's really cool to me. This is not just a personal passion, nor should it be. I mean, it's everybody's passion, justice and equity, equality, all of those things, as we'll see, are values of the kingdom of God. And this, uh, our church, has been uniquely focused on this for years. So uh, what I knew coming here years ago when I first came here as the, the youth pastor, um, I knew of a sermon that Dr. Howard had preached, Dr. Herbert Howard, longtime pastor of our church from 1948, how about this, 30 years to 1978. He preached a sermon when he first got here, when he was preaching in view of a call on January 7th, 1948. And, and the sermon that I've listened to again, because here's what he did. He used to, he used to preach it every year. And the sermon was entitled, 
everybody somebody. Everybody somebody. And when I became the youth pastor here years ago, Gary Stroop was the youth pastor before me, and there was a tagline in our youth ministry. We talked about it at camp in particular. We invited students to come and join us because it was a place where everybody somebody. And this became this guiding value within our church. And so he preached this message, and I've listened to it again recently. We have the audio of him preaching the message. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to answer the question, why we should be involved with his words, okay? His outline of his sermon preached in 1948. Our church has been uniquely positioned all of these years by God to make a difference. And here was his sermon. He asked three questions in the sermon. He said, uh, he said first, who made man? And he went to Genesis 1, and here's what he said. Consider this, 1948. All people, he said, not the Jews, it doesn't say not, not the Baptist, and not white people, he said, but all people, all people are created in the image of God. So he answered that question, uh, who made man, with, with the answer, everybody's somebody because God makes everybody. I love that. His second question was, how is man made? All right. His answer to that one was, everybody's somebody because everybody is made in God's image. So everybody is somebody because they've been made in his image, right? All people. And then thirdly, Dr. Howard asked the question, for, for what purpose is man made? And he answered it by saying, Every, everybody's somebody because everybody can bring glory to God. I love that. Everyone was created to bring glory to God regardless of race or background or economic status. And so Dr. Howard went on to pastor our church through, through a most volatile season here in our city and in America. Think about what took place uh, from 1948 to 1978. He was here during the civil rights movement. Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech was 1965 or, or the Voting Rights Act of 1965. 60, August 63 was the I Have a Dream speech. So he walked through all that, the desegregation of schools. And how about this? When other pastors, um, when other Baptist pastors in our city were speaking uh, about segregation, the separation of races in our school, and, and arguing even from our pulpit, I've heard these sermons and some of these news clips arguing for the separation, talking about communism and all kinds of stuff. Dr. Howard said, our church stood and said, no, 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 we are for the desegregation. We are for the coming together uh, of uh, blacks and whites and Hispanic and all people. Friends, we have this glorious history. God has placed us in a unique position, not only in this regard, but in many places and many theological positions, I would say, across our city. And I praise God for how he's continued to lead us. I actually talked to Miss Martha Howard, our dear friend, um, about this many times. She was so proud of her husband and how he led the charge in this way. And then Dr. Pleitz was the pastor here when I got here as a youth pastor. And uh, E.K. Bailey, famous black pastor at Concord Missionary Baptist Church. They were friends back then. And so none of this is new is what I'm trying to tell you. See, for 81 years, our church has led the way, had a unique place in our city. And the baton is passed on to us today. See, our history of, of separation, of racism, of division goes way back. And as a student of culture, as a student of history, I often wonder, I've asked the question recently, 
How in the world did slavery, for instance, survive the Great Awakening? How does that happen? And if we look at history, people, you know, we struggle to go back to history and say, Jeff, that was way back then. Things have changed. Um, they were racist back then. I'm not a racist. Well, I would challenge you with what is, what is not a racist? What's the opposite of being a racist? It's not not a racist. The opposite of racist is really to be an anti-racist, to stand against those things. But we've got to understand. We've got to know our history in order to not repeat it again. See, part of, of this uh, history that we have here in Dallas, as I've discovered, is dark. There are books that you can read if you're interested because it is good to know our history. There's one called White Metropolis. You can find it on our website link there. Um, but there, there are books that, that outline the, the dark history of our city. And again, I, I'm not trying to, trying to bring everyone to feel guilty uh, or angry about all this. But here's the thing. White guilt and black anger is not going to solve the problem. What we need is to be aware and to understand how we got to where we are. Many people wonder, why are, why are the black people so angry? Why so many protests? What is going on? Well, there's a history there, right? And it's not something, you know, just get over it. Instead, we need to understand our history. You may not know in the 1800s, there were actually lynchings, okay, mob hangings of black people in Dealey Plaza into the 1900s. There was one in 1910, Aaron Brooks, was, was drug uh, out, and, and thousands of people watched him lynched, hung by, from the Elks Arch, downtown Dallas at Ackard and Main. Uh, ironically, the, the Elks Arch said, Welcome to Dallas. That's where they hung this young man. And people are there, you can see the picture, uh, taking the equivalents, uh, equivalent of selfies for us today, in our day. You may know that in November 20, 24th, it was uh, 1923, it was Ku Klux Klan Day at the State Fair of Texas. Still one of the largest attended days in the State Fair history on a weekday. 160,000 Klansmen were there. That night, there was one of the largest, uh, historically the largest um, initiation of new Klans members uh, that night at, at the Cotton Bowl. So again, See, from, from a black perspective, think about this. This is where empathy comes into play. When, and praise God, the, the Klan aren't, they're still around, but they aren't as visible today. But when you think back on the Klan, you've seen pictures of them like I have. They have their hooded robes, right? White robes hiding their faces. They always have American flags. So there's this, I'm going to call it nationalism, not patriotism, but a nationalism. They always have guns. So there's this enforcement of the law, you see. And they always, how about this? Who can forget the burning crosses? Symbols of Christianity saying that that was the power of God on fire. And they use language. They're, 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 the, the imperial wizards even at times claimed and proclaimed a Christian belief and following Jesus. How does that happen? Clearly there's a misunderstanding of Scripture. And today we're going to get to the heart of what it means to, to actually live this out. And again, I'm not trying to uh, cause us all to feel guilty or, or even angry. What I'm trying to do is help us to gain empathy for our black brothers and sisters and all people of color 
So look at Micah 6, 8. What we see here uh, in the context in Micah 6, 8 is there's this cosmic courtroom going on, a conversation between God and the disobedient uh, Israelite. So, say, so God first offers his case and an indictment in verses 1 through 5, and it reminds them of how he's been faithful to them, okay, while challenging them. In verse 6 and 7, it offers Israel's response in a series of questions beginning with, well, with what shall I come to the Lord? So they're asking, how can we please the Lord? What does he require of us is what they're going to say. And you'll see this kind of progression. They start with, what does he require? How about year old calves in verse 6? What about 1,000 rams or 10,000 rivers of oil? Now, all of this is hyperbolic. Nobody can bring this. Even the whole nation, perhaps, could bring this. But then it says, even in verse 7, should we bring our firstborn son? What does he require of us? How can we atone? What can we do enough to atone for our sins? God then answers the question, what will he be pleased with? Okay, What can we do to make this right? And this is the question I've heard over and over again. What can I do? And here's what he says. Let's read this together. This is Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? So see, through the prophet Micah, God is saying, you know, he's asking, or asking the question, what can we do? And the language here is hey, he's already told you what to do. So today really should be a reminder for us. And here are three things. Micah gives me a great outline today, right? First, do justice. Most of us don't really fully understand what biblical justice is. We're hearing a lot about justice today. There's a biblical justice and there's a justice that is not biblical. See, notice it's not simply a concept. It's something you do. You act justly. You do justice. So there's two words in the Hebrew language that we see often. In fact, they're often tr uh, translated the same. Same word, justice. Or righteousness. The first is siddikah. It's an ethical standard uh, of what is right and wrong. We see this in judicial court system, for instance, like ours, that there's a responsibility of providing equity, equality, and justice according to the law. But then there's the word that's um, mishpat in the Hebrew, and the word is for, uh, it means restorative justice. It means uh, it's this sense of a larger societal justice that is caring for those who are oppressed. It's using one's privilege to care for those who are uh, in need. So it's not merely a personal kind of a justice. So, see, social injustice is not new. And in Israel, it was a major problem. I would argue that in our nation, it is a major problem. It's why we're seeing such uprisings, if you will. Dr. King said the mob is simply the voice of the unheard. And it's people who are being oppressed. So we say it often, we are blessed to be a blessing. And I'm so grateful that we are a church, that I pastor a church. Can I be proud for a moment, a godly kind of pride that says I'm so proud to be a part of a church that seeks to help those who are most uh, needy in our city. It's why for so many years we've been involved in ministry. Gosh, at Brother Bill's uh, way back for decades we've been involved there. And at Cornerstone Church, we are a part of, of uh, the possibilities of restorative care. It's one thing for those to enter into uh, our criminal justice system. It's quite another thing when they come out. And for our men, particularly the Brian Fant class and many of our men who are normally every week there with the men of Nehemiah, helping them 
after incarceration. Such redemptive stories. And so God is at work, and now we have opportunity in our day. Uh, you've heard about even today to be a part of what's happening at all the nations as we're pulling together all the nations that live in Vickery, one of the areas in our city that has great need. So on August the 13th, you've heard, you can, have, you can be a part of this drive-by parade to bless our friends. I'm just so grateful that we're a part of a church that says we're going to leverage what God has given us and whatever privilege or position or, or resource He's given us, we're going to leverage it for the good. This is biblical justice, friends. So way to go, Park City's Baptist Church. We have quite um, a, a, a long history of being that kind of church. So here's the thing. When we talk about white privilege, I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. It doesn't mean that you haven't had hard times. It doesn't mean that every white person is privileged. But it means in general to be a white person uh, in, in the United States that we haven't had to overcome barriers that our, our friends of color have had to. I mean, if I were to ask anyone listening to me now, if you're white, and particularly if you're older, uh, if you're, say, my age or older, would you rather have grown up as a white person in America all your life? Or would you switch places with a black person who's grown up in America, in general terms? I don't, I don't know that any of us would do that. And that's just a sign. See, again, that's a sign of privilege. Privilege means I can go outside of my house, go to work, whatever I do, and I don't think about the color of my skin all day long. That's, that's a privilege that I have. That's not true for people of color. So biblical justice, you see, actually helping people who are in need and vulnerable, this is how... We go about seeking justice, and we go about trying to end the injustices and systems or institution that we find ourselves inhabiting all the time. This takes hard work, but history has shown when the gospel is not central, when Jesus is not guiding with Scripture, biblical justice is not guiding the fight. History has shown that the oppressed, actually, when they gain power, they become the oppressor. And we're seeing that in our day as well. So, the anger that so many of our black friends have, and anger is an appropriate response, but when we see anger or response to, the, to law enforcement, uh, there's a different reaction often from a white person to a black person. Our country's original sin of slavery, it goes back to our original sin. You know, our country was built on racism and slavery from the very beginning. And we know that godly people rose up during that time, over time, that created even a civil war, right? So we aren't experiencing that in our day. But, but, but injustice and oppression is really in the DNA, if you will. I'm trying to help us see with empathy. It's really in the social memory of so many people in our, in our country, particularly our, our, our black friends. Uh, I had a white pastor friend recently say it's, it's kind of these within the system or the stories. It's almost like slave patrol. Now, we know that our, our police officers aren't about that. And, and I talked to a police officer recently who said, you know who hates bad cops more than anybody else? He said, good cops. Good police hate the bad police more than anybody. And we honor our police and we're grateful for all that they do for us. And we have many who are in our church, and we praise God for our public safety officers. We can't function in our world without them. See, but here's what happens. If you're like me, so I was, I was born about 100 years uh, after the Emancipation Proclamation, when I realized just 100 years. And the older I get, I'm like, that's not much time. 
So when you think you pass one generation and we don't turn, you know, move the dial, no wonder you end up with not only a social memory, but you also have this racism that just continues to think that some color of skin is better than another or a people group is better than another. So what I'm trying to do is help us to see with empathy because empathy is the pathway to peace and why certain people react the way that they do. So here's the thing I want us to see. Uh, we can be, listen, we can be pro-black and we can be pro-police, okay? You can be for the police and you can be for black people. In our polarized country, it seems in these days, we need to follow the way of Jesus often in the third way. And so the Bible teaches us, friends, listen, we can be for biblical justice that calls us to care for the poor and the oppressed and be for moral order that demands that we believe in absolute truth that guides us. Those things go together. And too often, apart from Scripture, apart from the way of Jesus, we're polarized. And we don't believe those things can continue to happen. So what I, I saw recently, I thought this was helpful for me. When you think about people say, well, black lives matter. Or others say all lives matter. I saw this um, cartoon that you can see there. Uh, it goes back to Jesus' parable about the shepherd leaving the, the 99 for the one. And all the other sheep are saying, hey, all sheep matter. And you can see the one sheep is in trouble. That's what we see today, friends. Listen, the, the shepherd's going after the one who is in need, empowering the one that, that, is, that is lost and needs to be brought back in the fold. As if to say to all the other sheep, hey, hey, listen, it's not about you right now. Uh, it, it, maybe it's been about you. It's not about you right now. So yes, all sheep matter. But this little one matters to me right now because it needs to be careful. Praise be to God. That's how he, he is towards us. And so we ask all kinds of questions when it comes to justice. Why is it that certain zip codes don't even have broadband as we crank up school again, maybe online? Why is it there's such, we wonder about fatherlessness. We wonder about longstanding reasons as to why. We know that many zip codes were redlined during the 1930s and 40s. They weren't given financial services. They were um, uh, what were called undesirable influences. And among those, literally, uh, I read through this this week, mix, a mix of Negro and poor white is why certain zip codes were not allowed to have financial help and then the kind of uh, structure that was needed. And we're seeing that played out today. Why is it that there's a 17, 20-year gap uh, when you talk about life expectancy from one zip code to another in our city? So we have real disparity. And so, again, white privilege is not to make anyone feel guilty. It's simply to help us see that, you know, some of us have had uh, had help along the way. It's almost like starting a 100-meter dash, and, and uh, I'm going to start at the, the, the start line, and then another person gets to start at the 50-meter, right? How am I going to keep up? And this is why um, in America, when you consider wealth being passed down, in America, white people, white families hold about 90% of the wealth. And when you look at black families, uh, they hold about 5 uh, um, it's, it's actually 2.6% of the wealth. So out of every $100 of wealth, the black family has about $5.04. So there's a real disparity 
between uh, wealth in our, in our nation. And there's a result. I mean, there's a reason for that. It's all the, the history that I've been laying out here today and so much more that we could talk about. So see, the justice that comes to us is what, what ultimately comes to us in Jesus. This is why we've got to step in and there's multiple ways for you to get involved. And we're going to talk about that as we close our time. But it's through Christ where we see uh, the, the, the justice that we need before a holy God comes into play. He allowed us then to have peace with God. You've heard no peace, no justice. Well, we have no peace with God apart from justice before a holy God. Jesus steps in and he allows us to have a relationship with God. So we do justice. And then these last two, I'll close quickly with we love mercy. Because here's what's important here. You can't do justice without mercy. That's why this is so important. The term love mercy in the Hebrew is hased. It means loyal love. It means loving kindness might be your translation. In Psalm 89 verse 14 it says this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. See, look at this. Love others and we, we do this by, by practicing doing justice and through mercy. This is how God deals with us. So this cuts to why many movements will fail, but the gospel is the answer to the problems that, problems that we have in our day. We do justice, but we don't do it without kindness, without grace, as God has shown us. So we embrace uh, biblical justice. We don't uh, go after, um, you know, failed efforts or unbiblical efforts to embrace or defend a secular kind of progressive narrative. Instead, we stick to the biblical narrative, which is both justice and mercy. And then look at this. We walk with humility. We walk humbly, which describes our posture before God. As God's people, we rely on his power, not our own. And so we stop. We listen. Uh, we're not prideful. We seek the Lord, and this is how uh, lives are changed as we live this way. So here's what we see. When we ask, Lord, what do you require of us? He says, I want you to worship me with your whole life. This is what he's talking about. Ultimately, this verse comes down to comprehensive whole life worship. And it goes like this. Look, outward, we do justice. Okay, Inward, we love mercy. Upward, we walk humbly before our God. And so we end this passage by seeing this is a passionate, robust, extravagant way to worship God. This is what he requires of us. And it comes out in the lives that we live. So apart from Jesus, friends, before a holy God, we have no justice. We have no peace. We can't walk humbly before him. We can't fix our problem. Christ alone can fix our problem. And it happens with each of us. There's no justice. There is no peace in your life if you don't turn to Christ who's bridged the gap between you and a holy God. Your sin has separated you from Him. In fact, in Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but He was crushed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. There it is. And with His wounds, we are healed. Friend, have you received Christ as your Savior? Have you accepted His grace? It's the only way you're going to have peace, peace with God and peace in relationships in this world. So here's what I want us to do. 
some real clear next steps today. People across our city are being challenged to go to a new website that we've designed for churches across Dallas. It's called One Dallas Movement. And there you're going to find a pledge. And I want to challenge you to sign a pledge, for all of us to sign a pledge that many have already signed. We've already begun this week. You can go there and sign a pledge that, that you, can, you can say, I want to be a part of the solution. So go to that website. We'll be putting it out there. Go there today. As you're going to see, we're seeking to, to build awareness, to commit to fight uh, racial injustice, to engage in the work and activate a deep, lasting kind of advocates and friends and partners that we have here in the city. You can go there and there's a link to Dallas Praise. We're going to be starting a citywide prayer movement this coming week. You can see it there on the website. You can go to our website and learn more about resources and help that we have there. Much of what I've talked about in this uh, sermon today. You'll see a statement that Park City's um, pastors came together uh, recently so that we have said, hey, we're all in this together. We're being the church, one church united in the city of Dallas. And then today, later on today, uh, I'm going to be live with Pastor Carter uh, on Instagram. So join us. You can watch for that on Instagram Live later after this sermon. Today we'll have questions and uh, we'll take some questions and have some conversation around that. So I hope you'll join us. And hey, I want to close in prayer right now as we uh, enter into a time of commitment before we go. And so now would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Lord God, we thank you for your grace that's come to us. We thank you that we now have peace with you because of Jesus who's brought justice. Because he took upon himself the penalty that should have been ours. He took upon himself the punishment that should have been ours. And he bridged the gap so that we could have a relationship with you. And now, Lord, we pray that our lives uh, would model that. That we die to ourselves and live for you. And friend, if you've never received Christ right now, today's your day. Say, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can give you my life. I give you my life. Be Lord, be Savior of my life. I want to live for you all the days of my life. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.